but it was really this realization around death as not of an end it's an end to our physical body but not an end to our soul that i believe greatly reduced my anxiety around death and and as a result really opened me up to be able to live a completely different life than i probably would have had these experiences and and they have continued over the course of what's now been 25 years it just shifted the whole trajectory of how i live my life hello and welcome to grief gratitude and the gray in between podcast this podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Thank you for joining us on this episode today. I have the pleasure of talking to fellow podcaster, Dr. Amy Robbins. She is a clinical psychologist as well as a spiritual intuitive medium. She is the host of a podcast titled Life, Death, and the Space Between. You and I have that same kind of vibe in the title of our podcast. So for sure, for sure. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have this conversation with you, Amy. Welcome. Me too. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited for you to be here and to get to know you and see how it is you landed in this space, specifically on the topic of the, your interest about the topic of death. So take us into that journey of how it is that you became a, psych a clinical psychologist, and then also how it is that you ended up focusing on the topic of death. And then we'll go from there. Sure, sure. So when I was 18 years old, I lost my aunt. She had, um, she had juvenile onset diabetes and had complications throughout her life, and she was waiting for a kidney and pancreas transplant. And while she was waiting for the transplant, uh, they recognized that her heart would not have been strong enough to withstand a transplant. And so they went in to repair her heart. And once they got in, they, they, it, was, it, it was not repairable. Her heart was so damaged from all the years of diabetes and the stress that she ended up not making it out of the surgery and she died on the table. And, you know, like so many people who've experienced grief in their life, I got that call that we all know that sort of brings you to your knees at that moment where you just can't even believe what you're hearing. Um, she was 48. I always get it wrong. 47, 48 or 49 at the time. I think she was 48. Um, and every time I ask my mom again, like how old was she? She tells me, and then I forget for some reason, which is really interesting. Um, but you know, she was a real fixture in my life. She was like a second mother to me and really, uh, really present in my life. And this was the first time I had experienced a death that was so close that was what I call like an out-of-order death, right? Like she was not a grandparent or a great-grandparent. She was now, frankly, just about the age that I am, which is just crazy to think about, you know, now with that, with that sort of lens. 
I was an undergrad at the time and came home for just a few short days. I'm Jewish. So we had a funeral right away and a shiva. And then I went back to living, living my life. And what I didn't recognize was how much her death and the loss was really gripping me and manifesting as anxiety. And it's only sort of, you know, it was only once I kind of came out of it years later that I saw that that's what was happening to me. And I had a lot of anxiety, particularly around how I was going to support myself, what that was going to look like. She had gone through a pretty um, kind of a nasty divorce and lost a lot, like lost, you know, didn't have a lot of money afterwards and ended up needing to go back to, she was a stay at home mom, ended up needing to go back to work. Um, and, and the work where she worked, the conditions weren't great for her illness. And so that sort of led to kind of her demise. So I really had put a lot of pressure on myself that I couldn't end up like her. She was the oldest of three kids. I was the oldest of three to, to, I mean, same, same family dynamics and everything. And so I really psychologically kind of connected to her in a way that obviously wasn't, wasn't realistic, but that was psychologically what I was thinking is like, is this going to be my same path? And, you know, fast forward several years later when I was in graduate school and I had, I had, you know, tried a stint in, in radio airtime, selling radio airtime and was really unhappy after college. I couldn't get a job, had my first panic attack after several rejection letters, all really related to like, is my fate going to be like hers? And, um, so after going, working in radio ad sales for about six months and being probably the most unhappy I've ever been in my life, just feeling really empty and that that work was pretty meaningless for me, I quit and I waited tables and tried to figure out what I wanted to do and started volunteering at Children's, what was Children's Memorial Hospital here in Chicago in their partial hospitalization program, which was for kids who were transitioning from a from an inpatient program back into kind of their everyday life. And this was like an in-between step and really found a real interest and love of psychology and therapy and how the mind worked. I have, a, I come from a family of physicians. My grandfather was a pediatrician. And so I, I, it felt very natural to me. However, uh, my second, my first year in graduate school, I, I believe it was my first year, as my cousin was getting ready to get married, I had what I now know was my second visit, but at the time thought was my first visit and actually thought it was a dream from my aunt who had passed. Is this cousin child of that aunt? Yes. His, okay. His, it was her son. Okay. Um, it is her son. She, my aunt came to me and very clearly said, tell, showed me this image of my mom standing at her kitchen sink and said, don't be upset. Tell your mom not to be upset. I'm going to be at the wedding. And then went on to show me an image of my uncle, her, her brother, and said, please let him know I hear him when he's speaking to me. And, and it was a very clear image of of my uncle outside walking, pushing a stroller with my cousin in it. It was about five at the time when she died. And she said, I hear him when he's talking to me. I know what he's saying. Let him know that I hear him. And so in that moment, you know, I, I woke up kind of startled and I turned to my husband and I said, Aunt Linda was just here. 
And he looked at me and he was like, what are you talking about? Like, have you lost your mind? I'm like, she was talking to me. So I called my mom as soon as the day got started and I told her what I had seen and she started crying and she said, I was standing at the kitchen sink last night talking to her, saying to her, I can't believe you're not going to be there. I can't believe you're not going to be at this wedding. And then I called my uncle who's an orthopedic surgeon. So also pretty materialist, medically minded, science-based. And I shared with him this message. And he said, that's when I talk to her. That's when I do all my talking to her. And I was kind of floored, but really didn't think much of it. I mean, I really wanted to understand. I'm very curious. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. So I went to school that day and I spoke to one of my professors who I knew was also She was very, very grounded in psychoanalytic and psychodynamic psychotherapy, but also very spiritual. And I said to her, this is what happened. What happened? You know, here's the story. What do you think this was? And she said, I think you were had a visit and I think you're probably opening up to something. And I would encourage you to continue to open up. Now, I didn't know what that meant at the time. And I sort of brushed it off. I mean, I was 25 or 26 you know, I was getting married, I was in grad school, there was a lot going on. And so I really put it out of my mind. And, and then when my grandfather died, different side of the family, it happened again. And, and then at this point, I was already in private practice, this was probably seven or eight years from the first time that I had had this visit. And then it started happening with patients, loved ones. And I was baffled by what was going on and wanted to understand more, not just about death, but also what happens after we die and how to, and and what happens to our soul and where our soul goes and how did my aunt come to me and communicate me and how did I now know information that um, I couldn't have otherwise known and what does this mean and, and how do I make sense of it and how does it help me put my life in perspective. And throughout this process, my anxiety was starting to dissipate. And I was in therapy. I I was in therapy for many, many years. And so I was working through a lot. But it was really this realization around death as not an end. It's an end to our physical body, but not an end to our soul that I believe greatly reduced my anxiety around death. And, and as a result, really opened me up to be able to live a completely different life than I probably would have had these experiences. And, and they have continued over the course of what's now been 25 years. It just shifted the whole trajectory of how I live my life. It's so important what you've mentioned because I had 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 a conversation with somebody actually that speaks Spanish because I sometimes interview people that um, that speak Spanish as well and it was exactly what you said that death ended up helping him understand life like death is actually there for us to live Mm -hmm. a more meaningful life because without knowing that there is a shift or change in this reality, right? right? Then it's like, how do you make every choice and, and so forth in your own day-to-day of now, of this physical 
existence meaningful, but at the same time, not be so anxious of like that there's like this timeline either. Because if you do, like you said for yourself, if you do have this belief of a continuation and of, of a of a spiritual reality, then there's not too much even as a also like a hurry either. Like so then that the anxiety can also be diminished a little. Is that kind of how it felt for you? Yeah, yeah. And I think that I now think of this life as just one of many of an opportunity for my soul to grow. And so it doesn't mean that in this life, I'm just sort of passively waiting for things to happen. It's much more like, what am I here for right now? What mm -hmm. is my, what are my, I, I don't love the word lessons, because I think that can have a real negative connotation when you think about everything being a lesson and oh that's just a lesson from the other side or whatever it is yeah, it's like we go to we go to school since we're like four or five and go to college lessons are received all it's like and then also life's lessons like right. gosh it's like right. too much <laughs> right but but how I think of it is is really opportunities like opportunities to yeah. learn and grow And so I look at this life as now very differently in terms of, okay, what are these, everything that's put in front of me, how does that then become an opportunity for me to learn and grow my soul, which goes on? And if I, which I believe goes on. And if I don't, un, if I don't get what I'm here to learn this time around, it's gonna, it's gonna keep coming up for me, Right next time, the time after, maybe the time before, depending on how we believe time, mm -hmm. you know, is time linear or are Why we not? existing in yeah. simultaneous lifetimes, which is a whole other topic. Oh my gosh. We could go like yeah. on a whole other. <laughs> I know. I could always go like 75 different directions with all. I of love this. it. And I love it. I love it. It's yeah. It's, it's that aspect of the realities and we could constantly exploring that, right? What are our realities? Right? Like you can be, oh, I will just focus on this reality and on this universe and on this timeline, or right. I could think of it in the mult multiverse or whatever. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But for now, we'll stick to this earthly realm. Um, and so it really has helped me think about everything in my life, my relationships, my job, the, the qualities of my soul that I want expressed in this lifetime totally differently. And so from that experience, which I then went on, like after, after I had the, the visit from the patient where I was like, whoa, what am I supposed to do with this? I then spent several years working with a medium, taking classes, exploring that kind of side of things a little more deeply to see. And that never really felt like totally my calling in that way. I think partly because I'm not as accurate as I wanted to be. I think I was probably like 80 to 85% accurate. And I feel like when you're working in that space with people who are grieving, there, there are some really, really gifted mediums out there who have, it, it is clearly their calling. For me, it wasn't that. Um, and so I kind of, and I love doing more, I love doing deeper clinical work with people. So I sort of put it to the side-ish, um, but it's still such a part of who I am and also how I work just intuitively. And once in a while, people always ask like, do love, do patients, loved ones ever come into sessions and how do you deal with that now? And, you know, it's really interesting because I, I, I don't talk about it really with my patients. You know, sometimes if they lose a loved one, I'll ask them like, what is your belief in terms of what happens? 
many of my patients know that I have this whole podcast that talks about this. And some have chosen to dig deep and listen to every episode. And some want nothing. They don't want to know anything about it. It is it has nothing to do with the work we're doing. And that's fine. And then I know, particularly if they're experiencing a loss, I don't go there. Like that's just not their belief system. It's not my job as a therapist to push that on them. It's anybody's job to discover and be curious and be open and come to whatever understanding and however they want to understand their experiences in their own way. But what I did want was the opportunity to share these experiences with other people to help open them up more, to help them think about not just death in this way, but life in this way. And hence life, death, and the space between, right? And so, and and how people can really use much of what I talk about on my podcast and different tools, both to open themselves up more and to fear death less. You know, you mentioned about like creating then the space then of your podcast is there as a platform. Your patients can choose to go there or people that you don't even know are able to access that. And as you mentioned, it's just another way of other people to explore. And in case there's others just like you were that have that anxiety about death, to be able to hear all these different perspectives with the different people that you interview and the stories that they share give them maybe a a little less anxiety for themselves of their own mortality or the mortality of those around them that they loved, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Take us into, actually, I have some, I have questions about your mediumship. Let me go there first and then I'll go into your podcast. You mentioned when your aunt uh, Linda showed up and showed your mom and then your uncle you said you thought it was the first time that she'd shown mm-hmm. up, but mm-hmm. so I, so I I'm that what I'm that type of person. I'm like, wait, I, wait, then what was the first one? Right, so, I said, right. so if my listeners were also wait, what was the first one? I want to know that. And then the other part too is, do most of the times because you say people ask you if you if you uh, feel in your sessions if you see the loved ones or get messages at that moment. Is it, that was my other one? Is do you normally get your messages in dreams, or because everybody has their different mm-hmm. knack, you know, or kind of way in which they're opened and right. as a right. channel? So if you can share that part, too. sure. So the first part is uh, shortly after my aunt died. I don't I don't remember when, but I remember this experience very vividly. She came to me. This is, it's sort of a funny story and it kind of sounds weird when I retell it, but my mom's like passion in life is golf. Like it is her most favorite thing to do. She has done it since she was young because her family grew up on, they lived on a golf course. And so at the end of the day, when all the golfers were gone, my grandfather would take her out and play the holes right near her, near their house. So it was something special she did with her dad. She loved it. It was always like her escape, her place to go. It was like her, it's her meditation. It's where she goes and finds like her connection with nature. Now, actually her connection with her sister. Um, But at the time, right after her death, my mom had a lot of survivor's guilt around just, she had always been healthy. My aunt had always been sickly and it brought up a lot for her psychologically. But how it manifested for my mom was it impacted her golf game. 
So she wasn't playing. And I know it sounds so silly, but I think when we think about how grief can show up for us, you know, we think, oh, it's always going to show up with tears or with, you know, feeling sad or feeling angry, but it can show up in all sorts of ways because our unconscious is really profound in making sure that we are impacted in some way. You know, you can't, you can't push it away. It will not stay away. So for her, it really came up as her golf was impacted and she ended up being, feeling really frustrated and not wanting to go on and not wanting to play. And I think that that was really kind of the manifestation of her grief and her guilt around her surviving and my, my aunt not. But my aunt came to me on a golf course and said to me at this time, tell your mom, tell everybody I'm healed. And she was really, her skin when she was sick was yellowed because of all the damage to her liver and pancreas and everything from the, um, from the diabetes. And when she came and she said, I'm healed and her skin was vibrant. I mean, she was wearing, I could tell you what she was wearing. She was wearing this beautiful red sweater and she said, I'm okay now. I'm okay. And I just thought, oh, okay, it's a dream. But clearly it was now after having these other experiences, I now realize it was more than that. And I still remember it to this day, which to me is a real telltale sign that there's more to it than just a dream, which I can't remember five minutes after I wake up in the morning. Um, Okay. So the second part of that question then was, oh, wait. Yeah. The dreams, if it happens mainly in dreams or in wake time moments for you. So it was pretty active in dreams initially. And then when I was working with the medium, it de- I was definitely able to kind of bring it in on my own very carefully through meditation. I don't recommend everybody just start trying this because you have to be careful when you're connecting because you can connect with some sometimes some entities that aren't the best. Um, and then it does happen Every once in a while, I'll be at a party or it happens in sessions where there's just, it feels like something's like knocking on my head that doesn't feel like my own thoughts. And then I'm like, okay, something's going on here. Like, And so in session, if I know that the person is open to it, I will say, you know, I think I have some information to share with you or possibly a message. Are you okay with me sharing it? Uh, and then I'll go ahead and and share whatever it is I'm hearing, seeing, um, feeling, smelling, feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually mm-hmm. it's hearing and seeing, and then I'll just share it, and then we'll we'll talk about it and we'll process it and we'll say, you know, did that feel accurate? Was that valid? Um, and usually people say yes, and and they cry and they talk more about their loved one and share what you know, what I shared and how that's relevant to what they're talking about. And then I use it as a tool to continue to help them through their grieving process. But again, like I wouldn't, I I wouldn't share a message unless someone gave me permission to share that message. Perfect. Yeah. That part of the okaying if they're welcome, open to receiving is so 
important in, in, in not just in this aspect and just even in advice sometimes that we, right, that we give. Right. In your case, of course, people are there. If you're giving just advice about life, they're, you're, you're their therapist. So that's different. But like right. even just in friends, when people come, it's like, well, you want to hear my thought. Do you want me to listen or do you want exactly. me? Exactly. I <laughs> use that feedback? with my kids all the time. Yeah. I'm like, what are, you, what are you looking for here? Yeah. Do you want me to listen? Do you want me to give you advice? Do you want me to go out and, you know, yell at the person? No, that's never, that, that doesn't happen. But sometimes you feel that way as a parent. But yeah, of course. Yeah, I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's, um, <clears throat> I think if people aren't open to it or not ready for it or don't believe it, it can be really jarring. Mm-hmm. And, and especially if a message comes through really clearly that kind of goes right to kind of the heart of things. And so you don't want to, give that to someone who's not ready for it because it can, it can, you know, knock people off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yes. True. Let me ask you this now as a clinical psychologist and then also then an intuitive medium being that one is like, like you were saying before that your, your uncle was more of the doctor mm-hmm. type of brain. So you have these two sides of your, of you in clinical psychology and in the science behind, have you also researched then the validation of these senses that we have and communication of beyond? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, sometimes that are people that are rational need like an explanation of like, well, wait, can't, is this just made up by my head or right. Is there science and reality to this? Or also understanding that in science, there are things that are not going to be able to be understood and knowing that there's another reality as well. So where do you fall into this or all of the above? Yeah, I think all of the above. So my podcast and how it started was really, um, I had spent many years before the podcast reading, researching, trying to understand. I mean, if I turned around my camera right now, you would see my library of what my kids call my death library. But it's also my afterlife library because it's, you know, many, many books, Michael Newton's Journey of Souls and Sylvia Brown, who was like a medium from way back and um, Laurelyn Jackson and, you know, Raymond Moody's Near Death Experiences, Life After Life. And So I really had spent many years researching and trying to understand, like, am I making this up? Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters, which I call kind of the gateway drug to spirituality, and and trying to understand, like, what is this? What is happening? Is there research behind it? What does that research look like? Um, There's there's the Winbridge Institute out in, I don't know if they're out in Arizona, Um, who's doing a lot of research on mediums and what their brains look like and how their brains are different. And so it was really important to me, although I think personal experience and, you know, qualitative experiences are valid. And there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people who have had experiences similar to mine. And since the beginning of time, so it's not unique. And yet, we haven't been able, we're getting closer through kind of quantum physics to, to move towards being able to scientifically prove some of this. But I think it's really important for people to, to be curious in that way too, 
to not just accept, oh yeah, this is this is truth, but to be curious and open to the research that is out there right now. Because there's a lot. You said it so beautifully because it's true. It's just the part of really just investigating and learning. And if you're ever curious about something, just go read read books, do research, find out what what brings you even comfort in the aspect of death. I've always been curious too when I interview people about people's beliefs in terms of what they believe about death, especially what they were brought up believing to then what they believe now as an adult. And when they've experienced a death, if those beliefs that they grew up with align with how they want to grieve or how they want to remember their loved one or not, and if it brings them comfort or not, like those those kind of things, like even marrying those different beliefs of upbringing and to now uh, as an adult. So for you, growing up, you had your your aunt's death pretty early on, but do you remember how your parents even uh, reacted prior to any other deaths prior to your aunt? I know your, for your mom, of course, that was one. And I know in the Jewish faith with Shiva and so forth and the honor that is given to actually grieving, that plays a part. So can you dive into that and more of the the actual components of upbringing around death? Yeah. So, I mean, I think because I'm Jewish and I believe, I always say, like, we do milestones really well. Like, we have nailed the milestones in terms of how they're celebrated and how we respect, you know, particularly end of life death and death. Um, And so I think, you know, I never really thought much about it. I had before, up until that time, I had only lost, I had lost three great grandmothers, but they were old. They were in their nineties. I, I remember particularly my last great grandmother, I was 15 when she died. So I remember the Shiva but it wasn't that same kind of tragedy that this really felt like. Um, And so I think for me, what was particularly difficult, and it would be interesting to ask my siblings who were still at home, was that I went right back to school. So there wasn't a process for me. I mean, I came home, I remember, you know, flying home, landing, crying the entire plane ride in the back of the plane by myself. My dad, or I don't even know if my dad picked me up from the airport, driving home and just, I remember being home and hugging my mom and her feeling really, really frail to me at the time. And that's like all, and I remember the funeral and things like that, but going right back to school didn't allow me time to really grieve. And we aren't good at that in this culture in terms of allowing people time to grieve. And I don't know what that would have looked like in an 18 year old version of myself because I was 18 and you're pretty selfish at 18 usually. And you're thinking about, you know, who the, and I had just met at the time, who's now my husband. He was my, he wasn't even my boyfriend. I mean, I'd known him for a month at the time when, and we were in our, my dorm room watching a movie when we got, when I got this call. So the poor guy was like, oh, my God, he didn't even know my family. Like he had never met these people. So he didn't know what that truly meant. I mean, he knew what an aunt, obviously what an aunt, it means to have an aunt die, but like not the level of closeness that that is my family. 
And so I don't, I don't think that I had really given much thought to death. Although interestingly, I had had several, um, several like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like contemporaries. I feel like my parents, when I say that word, people my <laughs> age at that point who had died. Yeah. Um, I- at 18, at 18, yeah, around 17 or 18, like a girl that I had gone to camp with, a woman that I had gone on a trip with, um, we did a family trip to Israel, she died, another young woman who was killed in a motorcycle accident, a couple of people in high school who were killed in drunk driving accidents. So it wasn't, it, and those I remember really shaking me as well, because that's, and I remember particularly the funeral or the shiva of one of the people and going and seeing her picture and thinking like, oh, my God, what must this be like for her parents to have to experience this? But not a whole lot of talk about death in my life growing up. In my family, we talk about it all the time. I think my kids are like, OK, it's enough. Yeah. <laughs> How old are they? How old are your kids? 16, 13 and 9. Okay. So I think it's so important to be able to talk about it openly. I am the same. I talk about it all the time now, of course. But the part of really normalizing that conversation about it and that just because we talk about death doesn't mean we're saying it's going to happen today or tomorrow or whatever. But we talk about this all the time. It's a reality. It is going to happen unless somebody's actually found some kind of magical way of not, you know, not having They're working on it. They're working on it. I read something about trying to cryogenically freeze people long enough that when they can bring them back, they will be able to live forever. Really? I don't know if I'd want that physical existence for forever. Right. But that's fine. If that's something that's... To each their own, right? I mean... It, it begs the question, what is the meaning of life if you never die? Yes, that's right? so true. Yeah, because it, 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 I don't know, like there is, if we're so attached to the material component of like to the physical existence and the trueness of our existence is our soul, which is like you said, your goal is what virtues, what qualities am I going to be developing, right, in my soul? Like, yeah, like, I don't know, like, what the point is of a physical existence for an eternity either. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Unless it's like you just want to perfect those qualities in that physical, I don't know. But like you said, to each their own. Right. The, um... So anyway, so yeah, that that conversation is important. So I'm glad that you do have that with your your kids and that it's something that you are now open to talking since it was not something you openly talked when you were younger, even though you experienced death at a really young age. And I could see how the anxiety would be really high, especially if you had so many contemporaries also die. You well, know? I, well, and I think sadly, for whatever reason, my kids have experienced a lot more death. Like when I was growing up, I didn't know I, I could count on one hand how many kids had lost parents, you know, that it was it was very rare. I have so many of my kids' friends who have lost a parent. I have some of my own friends who have lost their spouses, which is 
did not happen when, when I was growing up. I mean, if it did, it was a very unusual situation. So I just feel like it's more, certainly more, I'm more able to talk about it also because it is more present in, in life now. Um, and we can opine on why that is, but I don't think what this podcast, that's what this podcast is for. Right. We could do that on another, we can do that offline if you'd like. Um, yeah. So it's, you've also used those opportunities to talk because that's the thing. Sometimes people have people that die around them, yet they don't use those opportunities to talk to their children about it. Like, or they have a a pet that dies and yet they still don't use that opportunity to talk about death or what it means, right? right? Sometimes we still want to hide it way in that closet stuffed with everything else that we don't want to talk about because it is so much easier not to deal with these hard, conver- hard conversations, right? And so we just kind of stuff them. So that's, I commend you for ha- talking to your children about it. Yes. We have funerals for fish. Our dog lives in our closet still. <laughs> Oh, well, he's, he was cremated, cremated and we just oh. haven't done anything with it. It's been oh. a while, but you you'll, know, find, now, you'll find the right now. We sort of joke it. about it. We're like, do you guys see Barkley in the closet over there? <laughs> um, it's been it's been many years at this point. But and that's not to like joke about death. Like death no. is obviously a very serious thing. But there is there can be some like you can move into lighthearted spaces around it as well. And yeah, I think okay. that, that that can kind of help when you can kind of laugh about some of those things too. It can kind of help the grieving process. Absolutely. I, I don't see any, I mean, a lot of us grieve with humor, like laughter is one of those coping mechanisms mm-hmm. sometimes as well. So yeah, it's okay to, if yeah. you have a dark humor and want to talk about the dog still in the closet, <laughs> that is absolutely okay. <laughs> now... Dr. Amy Robbins, I'm going to refer to you as a full oh, name now. Thank you. Please let us know how people then can get in touch with you if they are curious to learn more of what you do in your practice. And is it only for people that live in the Chicago area? Do you see people virtually? Of course, people can hear your podcast, Life, Death, and the Space Between. But tell us how else someone could work with you. Yeah, so I am on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. That's the platform you can probably find me on the most where I'll, where I'll respond. Um, and then my website, dramyrobbins.com, where you can see my offerings. I only do, obviously, I because I work under a license, I only do um, my therapy. You, ha- you do have to live in the state of Illinois. However, I do offer spiritual consultations, which are not therapy. They're not readings. They're somewhere in between. Um, they're a space between. We just love the in-between part. I love the gray gray. in-between. You like the space between. The (laughs) The in-between, right? The, The murkiness of it all, which are sort of like a hybrid kind of intuitive session, but also therapeutic session. And many of my podcast listeners have done those as well. And if there's, you know, if you're stuck in grief or you're working on a specific area in your life that you're stuck with that you want to move forward from, I kind of combine my skills to help make that happen for you. So that's another offering. And I am getting ready to, I'm working on a course that I've been working on for many years. So that's kind of in the making and you can sign up for the waitlist for that on my website as well. 
Are there any other words you'd like to share with the listeners or anything I did not ask you that you'd want to leave us with? I think just to be open and curious in life. It's the best way to be. And it makes life so much more, I don't know if it's the best way to be, but it's a great way to be. And it makes life so much more fun and so much more interesting. You know, you might be listening to this thinking like, that's total BS. I don't believe this woman at all. That's fine. You don't have to. But just be curious and play and see what might happen when you start to open up and wonder what else is out there and what what is it that we might not see that might exist because that's really where magic, I think, happens. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to sharing about your own journey and how you're able to now help others in this journey based on your own personal experiences from your Aunt Linda passing on and transitioning and your grandfather and your own personal experiences with mediumship and how now you're able to help others also in a clinical psychology way and the podcast. You just have a lot of offerings, like you said. So thank you. And thanks for offering your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I always love talking about this. So this was spectacular. Loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, If you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.